Welcome to Life Center, everyone. If this is your first Sunday, it is my honor to welcome you. My name is uh, Pastor Terry, and it's just so great to have you with, with us today on this wonderful, beautiful November Sunday morning. Um, I just also want to draw everyone's attention to the seat pocket in front of them. There is a Connect card, whether you're here for the first time or it's the first time in a long time, or if you just want to uh, follow up with us, if there's anything that we can do as pastors for you, please take advantage of those cards in front of you, and uh, we would love just to hear from you. As well, I want to thank you uh, for your generosity in this season and point you to the uh, giving station at our back as well as on the screen. There are many different ways that you can contribute to the mission here in Life Center. God has been so good and faithful, and I thank you so much for your generosity. All right, just a few announcements before we jump into the message this morning. Um, first off, this Sunday night, this Sunday night, uh, November 7th and 14th, uh, we are doing something called Life Track. Now, if you've been around for some time, you this is formerly known as Growth Track, uh, rebranded Life Track. And this is an opportunity for all who are newer to Life Center to plug in a little bit more, get to know a little bit more about who we are. Imagine if you were to come to my house, I might give you a little tour of our place. That is essentially what Life Track is, giving you a little tour of who we are, as well as us getting a chance to know you as well. So we would love for you to grow in community here at Life Center, and you can do so at signing up at lifecenter.org. As well, in, in a few Sundays' time, November 21st, we are hosting another uh, water baptism. So if you would like to be baptized in water, if you've never been baptized in water, uh, we would love to do that with you. That is such a great opportunity to, to declare your repentance publicly, as well as it's a great opportunity just to pledge your heart for the Lord and pledge, you know, pledge your, your life, your family uh, in service for the kingdom. And so if you've never done that before, we would love to participate with, uh, uh, with you in that. And then third fi and finally, uh, Sunday, November 21st, uh, from 4 to 6, we are hosting an event for moms at our Orleans campus. And this is, we're calling it the mom event. Pretty, 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 fla you know, flashy. I like that. The mom event. And uh, we're inviting you to just come connect with other moms and hear encouraging messages and be inspired and refreshed in your relationship with God. You know, one of the beautiful things about this uh, time is there's such, you know, we don't need anything flashy or anything, you know, uh, we don't need all the, the bells and whistles to find community. I just sense right now there's such just a longing to be with other people in this season. Have you noticed that? Just want to be with people. We don't need curriculum. We don't need fancy food and, and beverages. We just need each other. And uh, I would just encourage you moms if you're needing community to take advantage of that as well uh, before I jump into the message last Sunday if you were with us we shared at the very end a brand new initiative that we are doing here at Life Center and our Canada campus that is we are pioneering an initiative to begin reaching out into our community and specifically reaching out to single moms and their families and so like I said, we'd be sharing a project that we want to do. And so between now and Christmas, we want to engage in a project. And is the slide up there? Um, it's, I'm, I, don't, I don't have a good name. If you are somebody who works in advertising or marketing and you're good at that whole branding business, reach out because I'm terrible at that. The best I could come up with was called baskets. So... <laughs> What we want to do, though, it's not about how it looks. It's about what we're the heart of it. And uh, we want to um, come together as a church, and just like we do at the Thanksgiving food drive, and collect some items that we want to put together in these baskets, these baskets of love from us to those in need. And we want to partner with some uh, local community services, and also if there's anybody that, um, you know, 
presents themselves in the next few weeks, we want to be able to gift these baskets to them. If somebody is starting out for the brand for the first time in a new home, or they're being forced to move for whatever circumstance, whatever reason. And so this is just a way for us to participate in, in just giving generously to those in need. And so you'll see up there a list of items. Feel free to like take a picture of that if you need to remember that. But all I'm asking you to do as a church is when you're going to Costco, maybe throw an extra laundry detergent or a pillow or something in your cart, maybe just one or two items if you would, and just bring them into church between now and Christmas. And our goal is to put together eight baskets, eight baskets. Five we want to designate for the ministry here at Life Center, and we want to donate three of these baskets to Lindsay and Corey's ministry as well in Carlton Place. And so we would love if you would just be willing to participate in that, and uh, I'm really excited to get that started. So we're going to put these baskets together, and hopefully we'll be able to distribute them at a, a very difficult time for some people, which is Christmas, for many different reasons, of course, uh, mainly for this reason, financial. So, awesome. All right, well, let's jump into the Word this morning, and we're going to continue in our series on position, on position. Well, in, in 1875, a poet by the name William Ernest Henley wrote his now famous poem titled Invictus. And the reason why what brought him to write this poem was at this time he was, had just had one of his legs amputated due to medical complications uh, for, for, the, for tuberculosis. And so he, it kind of spread into his leg and he had to have one leg amputated. And at this moment, his other leg was being threatened with that same result as the leg that was amputated, that he was potentially facing having to amputate both legs. And so he wrote this poem to highlight his self-discipline and mental fortitude in the face of adversity and suffering. And you'll probably recognize uh, the last stanza in this poem, which I will read, and it'll be up there for you on the screen. It says, It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. How many of you have heard those words before? Anyone? You know, those last two lines have been quoted by several world leaders, you know, since it's been written. Uh, for example, Winston Churchill recited those last two lines, I am the captain of my, of, uh, of my fate, I am the master of my fate, I am the captain of my soul during World War II. And Nelson Mandela, while he was imprisoned at Robben Island, uh, he would quote those words to himself to keep himself uplifted and encouraged during his imprisonment. And while it is certainly inspiring to recite those words in times of adversity, I ask the question today, is it true? Is it true that no matter how straight and narrow the gate, no matter how difficult the punishment of the scroll is, that I am the master of my own fate, that I am the captain of my soul? Well, I think if the Holy Spirit was in the business of fact-checking, I think the Holy Spirit would label that, those statements as mostly false, okay? Because there's some part truth to that. You know, God has given us free will, right? He has given us the ability to love or to not love, to do or to not do. And he, so he has given us this free will. And so in some sense, we are, you know, we can, you, we can sort of set forth our destiny and we can, in some sense, captain uh, our soul. Yet, you know, because we don't, I, because as much as we like to think we are the captain of our soul, the master of our fate, who alone determines our destiny, when it comes to who we are becoming as people, what I want to propose today is we're actually not as in control as we would think that we are when it comes to our soul and our destiny. You know, as Christians, we believe something very different than that of the world. That is, we believe that through God's Holy Spirit, 
that who God's Holy Spirit, that he is the captain and master of our fate. And it is why, for that reason, we call ourselves disciples of Jesus. We believe that we're not our own, right? We've been bought with a price. And as a result, we heed the call of Christ, and we pledge our entire life to following the one who we make the captain of our soul, the, the master of our fate. And the word that we use for this is the word disciple, disciple. And it comes from the Greek word mathetes, which we often translate as disciple. It is sort of a churchy word, if you, if you would. Um, but if we were to more accurately translate this Greek word mathetes, a far better way to describe the word uh, than the word disciple is actually the word apprentice or the word student, and so, you know, to be a disciple in the day of Jesus, this, this Greek word mathetes, was actually somebody who would give their entire life in apprenticeship to a rabbi. Like you would, wherever the rabbi would go, you would go. And everywhere, you know, everything the rabbi would do, you would do. And you would listen to everything the rabbi would tell you to do and tell you to go. And, and as a disciple, your singular purpose was in order to become like your rabbi, to become like your teacher. The disciple's singular purpose was to follow him in order to become like him. And as Jesus says us, what he does is he calls us to become his apprentice. He calls us to become his students. And it sounds really good, right, to say that I want to become like Jesus. You know, we say, we've all said that before. I want to become like Jesus. It's, it sounds good, right? It feels good. But when you actually look at what it means to follow Jesus, what Jesus calls you to do as his apprentice, as a student of, of the, the rabbi, the good teacher, it's actually pretty hard, okay? What does Jesus say that his followers must do? Well, only they must deny themselves, that's no big deal, right? Just take up a cross. Lose your life in order that you may find it. I mean, when you take an even closer look at what Jesus says, for example, in Luke chapter 6, you know, often we talk about the Sermon on the Mount, right? The Sermon on the Mount. But actually, there is another famous sermon that Jesus shared called the Sermon on the Plain. And I would ask you in Luke chapter 6, what was the last time you heard a sermon on the Sermon on the Plain? Because, for example, here in Luke chapter 6, we see Jesus giving teachings such as this. He says, Woe to you who are rich. Ooh. Woe to you who are well fed. And he doesn't spiritualize it. He doesn't figuratize it. He doesn't metaphorize it. He just says, woe to you who are well-fed and rich. Woe to you when others speak well of you. He says, give to everyone who asks of you. If they ask for it, give it. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And then this is what Jesus says in Luke chapter 6, 39 to 40. He says, can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone, when he is fully trained, will be like his teacher. See, Jesus is not calling you and I to follow him aimlessly. No, his goal for your life is that you become his student in order to become like him who is the teacher. For Jesus knew in this life, he isn't the only one calling you and I to follow, okay? That when it comes to following, when it comes to who we are becoming— Jesus isn't the only one in which we are following. In fact, Jesus knew that there would be many blind teachers who would come and call you and I to become their blind students. That there are many blind masters who are teaching us to become blind servants. That there are many blind kings calling us to become their blind subjects. 
And so every master, every teacher, every leader has the same goal for your life that Jesus has for your life. That is to make you become like them. Because you are not the master of your fate. You are not the captain of your soul. In fact, who or what you are following today will determine the person you are becoming. Let me say that again. Who or what you are, you are doing, who you are following, will determine the person that you are becoming. And that is why, as Christians, we move from one who is found then we don't stay as one who is found. We move from one who is found to the position of one who is following. When Jesus finds us, he is not content to just leave us as one who is found. But no, he says, come and follow me. Like First John says that anybody who abides in Christ, anyone here today say, yes, I abide in Christ. That's me. Absolutely. It says, anyone who abides in Christ should walk in the same manner in which he walked. You see, following Jesus is actually the process of becoming like him. And as Christians, we have this fancy word that we like to use. We really only use it in church. But it's the word spiritual formation. Spiritual formation. You might ask yourself, how do I follow Jesus? The answer is through spiritual formation. Here's how John Mark Homer, a pastor in Portland, he, how he defines spiritual formation. He says that spiritual formation is the process by which we are formed to become like Jesus, and in doing so, become our real, true self. Dallas Willard, the, the famous late author, says, Spiritual formation in the Christian tradition is a process of increasingly being possessed and permeated by the character traits of Jesus. As we walk in the easy yoke of discipleship, with Jesus, our teacher. Now, here's the most important thing that you and I need to remember when it comes to spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is not a Christian thing. It's a human thing, okay? We are all being formed. Whether we want to or not, we are all following. The question is not, am I being formed, but who or what am I being formed into? It's not, am I following, but who or what is leading me, and where are they leading me? Where am I going? It's not, am I a student, nor am I an apprentice, but who or what is the teacher or rabbi that I have entrusted my life to? And so when it comes to the things that we do, the most important question to consider is not, is it, is it good or is it bad? Is it right or is it wrong? You know, when I was growing up, things like movies, it was, why can't you watch that? Well, it's bad. Okay, or it's, it's wrong. We, it's the question when it comes to things like, just for example, movies, or what we watch, or what we look at, or what we see, or what we do, is not, is it wrong or right, good or bad? But a better question to ask is, by what I am doing, who am I becoming? By what I watch on that screen, who am I becoming? By who I hang out with at school, or who I choose to spend my life with, who am I becoming? Who am I becoming by what I am doing? And so this morning, I want to look at two ways that we are spiritually formed. And one of those ways is, is unintentional. It just happens as we are immersed in a culture such as this. And there's another way of being formed, and that is through the intentional process of being formed. That is what it means to follow Jesus. It is to recognize the ways that we are being unintentionally formed to the world, and instead to forsake that in which to intentionally practice that which Jesus called us to practice, to do that which Jesus has called us to do. And by doing that, and by practicing that, we will be formed to becoming more like him. Who am I becoming by what I, I am doing? 
Well, when it comes to how, one of the, the ways that we are unintentionally formed, I think at the very top of the list is stories. Stories. You know, the reason why culture is so powerful in its formation is because of the stories that they tell us, that culture tells us. And we as humans, we are hardwired for story, aren't we? You know, they've done studies on the brain, and then they've shown that when you are telling somebody facts or details or information, some parts of the brain are firing. But when you tell somebody a story... I mean, the whole brain is lighting up. Like, the entire brain is activated when somebody is being told a story. You know, we tell these stories to one another to help us make sense of our world and what it means to be human. You know, the stories that we are told form our worldview. Like, for example, marriage. You know, traditionally, you know, our culture has been a uh, Christian Judeo culture. And so we were told stories about things like marriage that formed our beliefs, formed our practices. But over time, as we have shifted away from our, you know, our Christian Judeo beliefs, we have become to be formed by different stories on things like, for example, marriage. Like today, marriage. Our, the cultural story that especially our young people are being told today is that marriage is too binding on your freedoms, Right? It's too constricting. It's an outdated method that make, wants you to conform to these outdated traditions and these economic means of living. So don't do it. It's, it's, if you want to do it, great. You don't need to do it. But we tell a different story, right? God tells a different story about marriage. He tells us a different story. What does he say about marriage? He says, God made marriage. You know, he created it. And he created so that two individuals can become infused as one flesh. And that is why we, we teach, the church teaches, that sex should be kept within the, you know, the confines of marriage, right? Between a man and a woman. Why are we just you know, bigots or are we outdated? No, it's because that's the story we believe. That's the story God has, has, has given us. And so marriage is sacred for it represents a greater relationship. Not just man and a woman, but it signifies a relationship that exists between God and his people. The stories that we believe shape the person that we become. You know, Ephesians 4, 17 to 18 says, So I tell you this, and insist on it on the, in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. You know, the only way that we are going to counter the unintentional power of the storytelling of our culture is to actually tell a better story. You know, Austrian philosopher and Catholic priest Ivan Illich says it this way. He says, neither revolution nor reformation can ultimately change a society. Rather, what you must do is tell a new powerful tale, one so persuasive that it sweeps away the old myths and becomes the preferred story. If you want to change a society, then you have to tell an alternative story. And when you look at Jesus and how he came to earth, what did he do? He told a, a different story, an alternative story, you know, a better story, if you would, that there's good news for the poor in spirit, for the downtrodden, for those burdened by the cultural formation that was this weight of the law that they could not escape, that everywhere they looked, they were doing something wrong in someone's eyes. Jesus says, you can come to me and you will find rest. That I've come to institute a new rule and a new reign. And so for us as Christians, we believe that the story Jesus tells is the greatest story ever told. And when the world around you feels broken, you know, when politics are broken, when economics are broken, when race relations are feel broken, suddenly the gospel of Jesus Christ becomes very good news, doesn't it? 
So in order to counteract the unintentional ways that we are being formed by the stories that we are told every single day, all the, 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 com- the commercials, the TV shows, the music, the, everything forming us, how we counteract this is through submitting ourselves to the teachings of Christ. By reading his word, you know, maybe listening to podcasts, maybe, uh, you know, listening to sermons. Our soul, we need to hear a better story in order to counteract the ways that the culture is trying to tell us a better story. As Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewal of your minds. You know, I would just ask the simple question, you know, who are you becoming by the stories you are hearing? You know, does the, the amount of hours you watch spending Netflix, you know, when, it, when you compare that to the, the hours you spend being taught by the teachings of Christ, where do they stack up? You know, I heard one pastor say that you're only allowed, this is an American context, so it's a different context. He says, you're only allowed to watch the amount of cable news equivalent to the amount of minutes that you pray every single day. I thought that was so cheeky and so incredible. Because, you know, this pastor knew that the, the cable news, Fox, CNN, MSNBC in the States was forming people. It was forming them. It's not just in being informed. No, it was forming their soul. And so he said, you can watch it, but as long as you pray for one hour, you can watch one hour of news a day. Who are we becoming by the stories we are hearing? Number two, the second way that we are being unintentionally formed is through our habits. Our habits good and bad, are incredibly formational. How many of you would agree? Far more than we are even cognitively aware. I mean, look at all the books that have been written recently about habits, the power of habits, atomic habits, the seven habits for highly effective people. Our habits are so formational. Why? Because they are intrinsically tied and linked to our deepest desires. I mean, there's a reason why I have eaten so much of my children's Halloween candy this week, okay? Do I know it's bad up here cognitively? Do I know? Oh, yeah, I do. Did I tell myself that I'll just eat two? Like, that's it? Yes, I did. It's just that I care more about in here than up here, you know? Like, this one. James K.A. Smith, the great theologian and philosopher, says, Your deepest desire, he observes, is the one manifested by your daily life and habits. What are your habits? Those are your deepest desires. Like, if coffee is your, your daily life and habits, your deepest desire is caffeine, okay? This is because your, our action, our doing, bubbles up from our loves, which, as we've observed, are habits we've acquired through the practices we're immersed in. That means the formation of my loves and desires can be happening under the hood of consciousness. I might be learning to love a telos that I'm not even aware of and that nonetheless governs my life in unconscious ways. You know, being formed by teaching is good, but it's not enough. You know, listening to sermons, you know, reading God's Word, it is good, but it's not the only thing that, that we must do in order to be formed into the image of Christ. Teaching, it affects our minds, but what it, it has a difficult time of doing is filtering down into our hearts and our hands. I mean, when I was 20 years old, and I'd just stepped into ministry, I read pretty much the entire library of John Maxwell in my first year of ministry. I read everything that he had written on leadership because I thought that by reading the books, I would become a very good leader. Was I a really good leader at the age of 20? Heck no. I was a terrible leader, even though I had read and was reading as much as I could. Why? I hadn't practiced leadership. 
You know, and how we counter the habits that unintentionally are forming us is by intentionally practicing the spiritual disciplines of Jesus. By practicing that which Jesus taught us to do. You know, I mean, we know what Jesus taught, right? Do not look at a woman with lust. Do not worry. Do not be angry. We know. We, we've been taught these things many times. And what, what, what we often do when these two things are, are, when we're failing in these things, is I find we often do one of two things. Either we run for the quick fix, like we go to the prayer meeting, or we go to the retreat, or we sign up for that small group, and we're like, lay hands on me and pray for me that I might be healed. Now, do I believe that God heals? Absolutely, I believe God heals. But oftentimes, we're running to those, those outlets because we want a quick fix. We want God just to deliver us from our sin in a moment. Or the second thing we do is we just try really, really hard, right? We go cold turkey. We go cold turkey. I'm going to stop doing this on sheer human willpower, which works for like a month at the most, right? And then we rebound, and, and then we're filled with shame and, and conviction and condemnation. You know, John Mark Comer says, we are not spiritually formed by trying really hard, but training really hard. How Jesus forms you and I to become like him is not through sheer human willpower, nor is it always through the quick fixes. But sometimes God desires to heal us and to form us through the very slow, sometimes painful road of dedicating ourselves to training for righteousness. I mean, give me, let me give you another example. Many of you know that this time last year that I ran a, a marathon that I was training. And you know because I was, like, talked about it a lot in church. I, I like to talk about that which I'm doing, okay? And many of you know that I, I ran this marathon. But when I say ran, I mean that's a subjective word, right, Rob? I completed a marathon four hours and 59 minutes and, like, probably like 45 seconds. I got under five. But I did it. And the reason I was able to run is because I trained for it, okay? When I started, I had no running experience, but I got a training plan, and I got good advice from, like I said, Rob helped me, and I just training of, of how much do you run. You add this much each week, and you need to eat this on your runs, and I trained for it, and, I, and it was this combination of learning, education, and practicing, and so now I can say with integrity, I ran a marathon. Now, right now, ask me that question. Can you run a marathon, Terry? The answer is no. No, I cannot. Isn't that because I don't know how? No, I know how. I've got a training plan. I can do it. Is it because I haven't done it before? No, I've done it before. The reason I can't go out right now and run a marathon is because I am not trained. I am under-trained. And I think that's how a lot of us try to follow Jesus. Under-trained. We're under-trained. It's not that we don't know. It's not that we don't have a lot of knowledge up here. We know what Jesus teaches us, but our spiritual muscles and our spiritual lungs are weak because we haven't practiced. Practice doesn't make perfect, but practice does make it possible for you and I to become more like Jesus, who is the one who is perfect. There are two ways that you and I, we can attempt to be spiritually formed. One is by trying, and the other is through training. And one is hard, the other is impossible, okay? We can try or we can train. One is hard, one the other is impossible. And I don't know about you, but I'll take hard over impossible any day of the week. Who am I becoming by what I am doing, by my habits, by my practices, by my disciplines, or their lack of? Okay, number three, moving a little bit quicker. Relationships. When I was a youth pastor, I borrowed this phrase from uh, Andy Stanley when he was a youth pastor who said, your friends determine the direction and quality of your life. Parents, 
adults in the room, how many of you would agree that when you're young, your friendships determine the direction and quality of your life? Who you choose to hang around with has great influence on the person you're becoming. It's forming, right? Now, adults, when you grow up, it's no different. It's no different. It's the same thing. Now, you might be thinking, well, good news, Pastor Terry, because I don't have any friends. <laughs> but we are deeply formed through our friendships but by the culture. That just the people we are surrounded with have a way of forming us. Now, there's nothing wrong with friendship, right? Pastor Terry says I can't have friends because it deforms me. No, but being formed into the image of Christ, into his likeness, takes more than just friends, doesn't it? What does it take? Community. Community. Your community is different than how we usually do relationships. Like, relationships attract, like, like attracts like. You know, similarity attracts similarity. Mutual interests attract mutual interests, which is great. But how many of you know that there's a danger on the other side of, of only being around people like you can create an echo chamber of ideology and belief and opinion? Like, let's look, have a look at your social media. Who are you following right now? Look at the list. You know, is, is that community or is that, you know, likeness in terms of what you believe and what you want to hear? I think some of us don't even realize the power of digital algorithms that disciples us into the, into the formation of the world. Community is different because it takes people of all different ages, cultures, tribes, ethnicities, backgrounds, gifts, abilities, preferences. And when we come together in discipline, I mean not just passively but actively, community becomes an incubator for spiritual formation because it becomes a place where we are where we are allowed to grow but also be challenged right to be encouraged but also to be convicted to be to be revealed but also to be loved i think when we intentionally submit ourselves to the forming power of community it can actually be a lot similar to what marriage is like right marriage is, I think, the ultimate form of community. Two different people coming together, strengths, weaknesses, the good, the bad, the ugly, you put it all together, and you say, till death do us part. And, you know, marriage, how many of you know, Julia, you know, marriage has exposed some of my greatest flaws. I know, Julia, I know when you married me, you thought you were getting somebody perfect. (sighs) Marriage has exposed how capable I am of selfishness and pride and greed. Am I the only buddy, only one here, anyone else? But it also has revealed a greater love, hasn't it? A love of forgiveness, a love of grace and serving one another and self-sacrifice. And it's no different than community. I think when we are committed to community uh, in, for better or for worse, in sickness or in health, for richer and for poor, and though we are extremely transient in the city of Ottawa and many people come and go, hopefully for some, till death do us part, the community forms us, you know, into, into who Christ is. So who am I becoming by the community I am part of, by my relationships, by my social media accounts and who I follow? Fourth, and I'll close with this, the fourth way that we are being unintentionally formed is by our environments. You know, in the, in the environment actually is the place where our stories and our habits and our friendships sort of all intersect into this one powerful pot of formation. And the most unique thing about environment in 2021 is that because of our phones and because of the internet, we are actually living in like two places at one time. We live somewhere and we live everywhere, right? We live everywhere. I live in a suburb in Canada, Ontario, Canada, and at nighttime, my wife and I like to watch Korean dramas. Thank you for the recommendation, Brandon and Linda. 
And then I call my family in Europe. Like, we are in one place, and we are in all places at the same time. And just as our environment is where our stories and habits and our relationships all intersect to form us unintentionally, the antidote, the, 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 one, the one who counters our environment is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit where the teachings of Christ, the practices of Christ, and Christ-like community all intersect and are, empower us to be formed into a Christ-likeness. And so instead of being nothing more than bystanders, in the unintentional ways we are formed to this world, the Holy Spirit calls us, beckons us, invites us through the form- formative powers of intentionally submitting ourselves to the teachings and, and the practices and the community of God to become co-partners with the Holy Spirit so that we are formed into the like- likeness of Christ. And so while it's impossible while it's impossible for you and I to forsake the world's forming power on our souls, it just happens, it just does. We cannot escape the world that we are living in, yet it is possible to be intentionally formed to Je- into the likeness of Jesus, to be stronger through our practices and our disciplines than the unintentional formation to this world's. In fact, it's not only possible for this to be stronger than that, my, my call to you today is that in order to follow Jesus, this must be stronger than that. You know, during World War II, I'll close with this story, there was a man by the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Maybe some of you have read his books. Maybe some of you are, are familiar with his life. And he was a German pastor and theologian who became sort of a significant figure d- due to his resistance against uh, the Nazis and most famously known for being involved in the plot to assassinate Hitler. And during the 1930s, when the German church, when the Germ- when the Nazis were beginning to infiltrate not just society and culture, but also the church, you know, Bonhoeffer was a part of a group of Christians who, at that time, had to begin going underground, and they started to form this underground movement called the Confessing Church, and where they would only swear fidelity to Christ and Christ alone. That they would not swear fidelity to the Nazis, to the German, you know, to, to, to Hitler. They would f- swear fidelity to Christ and Christ alone. And as reports began to come out about Bonhoeffer's underground movement, that him and others were forming this discipleship school where they were training pastors who would be able to go out and sort of lead this spiritual resistance against the, the forming powers of the Nazis on the people. You know, one of his friend, a concerned friend, came to visit Bonhoeffer one day because he was suspicious, and he had heard these reports that there was this radical discipleship taking place that was sort of, in his words, over the top, and he uses the words, too spiritual. Like, it was, there's too much spiritualization happening, and he was concerned, and he comes, and he visits Bonhoeffer, and so the story goes that Bonhoeffer took his friend up to this small hill that overlooked this airfield where German planes were sort of taking off and landing, and soldiers were marching to and fro in an orderly and purposeful, uh, uh, in orderly and purposeful passions, and this is what he said over to his friend overlooking the strength and might of the German army. He says, the reason we are doing all of this is because this must be stronger than that. And he pointed out to that German airfield. He said, the, this must be stronger than that. And it says, the story goes that they rode home in their boat in silence. This 
must be stronger than that. That is the call on every single person here today who has been found by Christ. That he finds us, but then he calls us to make this, that is forming, following Jesus, stronger than the ways that we, we don't think that we're following the world. We don't, we don't want to follow the world, but we are unintentionally being led to the world just because following Jesus says this must be stronger than that. That following Jesus must be stronger than the ways we are often unknowingly following the world. And so I leave you with this simple question today. Is this stronger than that? You know, is this stronger than that? Who are you becoming by the things that you are doing? You know, the point today is not that you and I, we feel overwhelmed or discouraged or defeated, but instead to hear this and to heed the ways that we have been drifted towards the world and to take heart and to trust Jesus for Jesus said, to follow me is to come to me. You know, I love that invitation because he, he was saying, come to me, who those who were worn down by the weight of the pharisaical, you know, the burdens that they had placed upon the people. And Jesus says, you know, you can come to me. All who are burdened by the overwhelming weight of being formed by anything and everything other than me, come to me and I will give you rest for your soul. I'll give you rest for your soul. Why? Because... You know, when you come to me, make me the captain of your soul, I will give your soul rest. By trusting in, in me as the master of your destiny, I will not let your foot slip. Instead, I will, when you trust in me, I will make your path straight. And so to move from found to following, we must recognize and resist the unintentional ways the world is forming us and instead choose to trust in the intentional ways the Spirit desires to form us to Christ. Would you stand to your feet with me? Let us pray. Let us pray. Father, Father, we love you so much. And this whole series, Lord, has been about understanding why you came, Lord, to seek and save the lost. That you sent your Son to the world to seek those that were lost. Lord, but you also said, you, Jesus, you said you came that we may have life and life abundant. And I believe, God, that is by laying down our lives in order to find our life in you, God. That is how we find abundant life today. God, help us today because the, the, the forming power of this culture can be overwhelming on our souls. Lord, I believe that every person here today who's found in you, the heart wants to know you wants to follow you, wants to resist the world, God, but there are times we fall short. We don't know why, we can't explain it, we just do. Lord, I pray today, Lord, that you would help us cast off shame or condemnation that we might feel because of our falling short, Lord, and we would trade our sorrow in for the joy of the Lord who restores us in your grace, who forgives us when we have wronged you. And he calls us. The beautiful thing, God, about you is, Lord, no matter what we do, no matter how far we've strayed off the path, you are right there, God, and you are always with us, Lord, and, and willing to just say, come follow me. You don't have to find me where I am. I come find you where you are today. And wherever you are, that is the place that Jesus has call, is calling you to follow him. One step at a time. Lord, help us to follow you by submitting ourselves to that which you have called us to do, Lord, to your teaching, Lord, to your word. Let us be a people who are formed by your word, who know your word in and out. Lord, help us 
God, to understand and, and be disciplined in the practices of Jesus. To pray and to fast and to be submitted to one another in community. Lord, Holy Spirit, lead us. For we are not the master of our fate. And we are not the captain of our soul. God, for if we were, Lord, we would shipwreck ourselves in a moment. Lord, be the captain of our soul today. Be the master of our fate. Lead us, I pray. And though may we not neglect our calling, Lord, to also be co-pilots, Lord, in this life. Lord, we are also called to journey alongside with you, God. But let us never forget, Lord, that you are master, you are Lord, and you are in charge. Holy Spirit, lead us, I pray. Holy Spirit, pour out, once again, a fresh new uh, power, Lord, to follow your son, Jesus, oh God. We need you today, Holy Spirit. Come, Lord, and, and just, Spirit, baptize us, I pray, with your, with your power today and with your love. We need you today, Holy Spirit, in your name. Amen. Amen. Let's sing together uh, before we dismiss.